Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, here it begins, the Go-Giver Marriage live Q&A, the live Q&A. So uh, first off, I want to recognize a few groups that are here. So we've got uh, guys that listen to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast in the community. We've got people from the Mastermind Project, which is led by Brian McRae. It helps leaders win at work and at home. We've got the Empowered Fellowship with Vaughn Kohler, focuses on excellence and faith. My pastor at my church invited the whole church, so that was pretty cool. Mm. So go ICD. We've got the F3 community. We got guys from across the country that are involved in fitness, fellowship, and faith. That's what F3 stands for. It's an outdoor workout group that focuses on uh, male community leadership. So getting getting guys involved in family and faith and, and their, their communities. So really, really cool. And then my wife joined us. So I'm super excited about that. She's a author and a big supporter of me. And I really, really, really appreciate her and love her to death. So thank you, honey, for, for joining us. So, all right, well, let's get going. Let's get going. So we have got two amazing, amazing guests. We've got John David Mann and Anna Gabriel Mann. I don't know why I have to put your middle names in all the time when I introduce you, but I just do. (laughs) Brief intro on both of you. John David has got just amazing books out there of all different topics, and he's ghostwritten for people, and he's a co-author of the Go-Giver series. And uh, if you haven't read the Go-Giver, it's a business book, but it applies in life. We'll get into that more later. And then on the other side, we've got Anna Mann. So Anna has had her life around family counseling, marriage counseling. And I love something that she said. I think it was at the end of the book, which was she shifted from counseling to coaching. So we'll, we'll get into that today as well, uh, because I love that. I love that little shift. I love that little shift that you did. Both of them incredibly successful on their own right. And I'm really excited to, to bring this book to a lot of people that I know for a number of different reasons. One is that all the couples that I know, I wish you just had an awesome marriage. Like that would be great because that influences me and my life in a major, major way. So the more people I get to hang around with great marriages, the better my marriage is always going to be, which then impacts my family. Then my family and my marriage can impact others. So That's one of the big, big reasons I'm so fired up about this book, in addition to the message that's in it and the easy format that it has that people can dive in and enjoy. And then at the end of this book, it's just got got it kind of chunked out for you. So if you want the simplified formula that you heard in the story, it's also right there as well. So this is a book that you need to share with friends, family, read, uh, share it with uh, the different groups that you're involved in. So with all that said, welcome, John. Welcome, Anna. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> you. Thank you so much, Dan. We are so psyched to be here. We've been really looking forward to this. So I've got all kinds of ways to open this up, but um, may- maybe I'll just throw it back to back to you and say, what were you excited to, to share with the audience today? 
Well, we wrote this book as a mission and, you know, it's a mission that we both care deeply about, but it's a mission that I've been on my entire adult life. And that is to really help couples to overcome the obstacles that get in their way that keep them from having a marriage that's not only close, but that it's a friendship on the deepest level. And it is what I like to call a safe haven for both of them, a place where they feel really safe and at home and a place where they can learn and grow and even come to a deeper understanding of themselves. And I really believe that a good number of the marriages that divorce don't need to divorce. They just need a leg up, if you will. They need a hand up to turn around some of the behaviors that are, that are really getting, getting in the middle of them. And I think that I would say this just so that the listeners have a little background. You know, I was a classically trained couples therapist for many, many years. I have a, a deep faith. And so I worked in a lot of capacities counseling from church, you know, as well as counseling in a private practice. And what I saw over and over again was that people really respond to being taught new behaviors and that the old model of therapy, which is just like, you know, let's get together and hash it out and let's make some agreements about, you know, things is, is less effective than helping people to understand the so-called toxic behaviors and to be able to replace them and shift them with positive behaviors. And it sounds dirt simple, but believe it or not, there is tomes of research documenting that a behavioral cognitive model is much more powerful and much more effective. And it, it really is for me a Philippians 4-8 moment of think on these things that are positive and lovely and good. And to remember that you are setting the tone of your marriage every day and you need to hold a tone that is really about the marriage being brand new every day. That, you know, the way that you are bringing yourself to your spouse is really important. Um, and you can do that in a really positive way, or you can do it, you know, off the cuff in a sort of ambivalent or negative way. And so that's really what drove us to write the book because to behave in this way is to engage in acts of generosity. And when John first wrote the original Go-Giver, which came out you know, in 2008, I read the first draft of it in 2005. And I said to John, this would make an incredible book about marriage because it's really about the very thing that I teach my clients every day, which is how to shift their behavior toward generosity of spirit and giving rather than a transactional relationship where you're always looking for what you can get. And, you know, so it took a lot of years, but in the middle of the pandemic, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah I was just going to add to that, you know, honest book about, she says something about the divorces. So many of the divorces that do happen don't need to happen. And I would add to that. There's so many marriages that aren't divorced, but they're not that happy. You know, Anna quoted a stat the other day that blew my mind. She said that 75% of marriages across the board, all age groups, um, there are a lot of interesting statistics about marriages in certain age groups and certain demographics, but across the board, 75% of marriages, three out of four, 
reported that they were either unhappy or the marriages were either unhappy or at least unsatisfying or just just okay. To me, that's a tragedy. That is a tragedy of unfulfilled potential, joy, happiness, and creativity. I believe that a lot of people, and this that statistic bears me out, a lot of people start out in marriages, you know, with great enthusiasm, along with their love and their excitement. And he's like, this is going to be great. But at some point along the way, come to see the marriage as a problem area. People come to see, see their marriage as a, as a place of compromise, as a place of always brewing potential conflict that can be kept under control by cautious diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> like like a bunch of countries in in uh, you know, the population is in is in up is in uprest and in, in dissent, but it's not being squashed outright. You know, this is no way to 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 have a marriage because what a marriage should be, and what a marriage could be, and what all those dissatisfied, simmering unrest marriages could be, is a place of is a launching pad, really is a launching pad for a greater you, is a launching pad for a greater life. Instead of being a place of compromise, it should be and can be an opportunity for tremendous growth, an opportunity to become a bigger you than you could have possibly been on your own. And it's, it's the loss of that. It's the failure to achieve that that we see in so many marriages that are in what we call the long freeze, sort of the long detente where people are, would describe themselves as, how's your marriage? It's fine. Fine may be one of the most dangerously pregnant words in the English language. It's like, what is fine? I, I see someone giving me an okay. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> can, I get an a, can I get an amen on this? So we're, we're, out, we're on a mission. We're in a calling and we're on a mission, not just, not just simply to prevent divorces. Yes, that but also to bring out the potential of marriages that exist, not only to keep them together, but, but keep them joyous and keep them creative and keep them growing and thriving. Anna and I have been together for 25 years, and we routinely find ourselves saying, this happens to us you know, every week. I mean, with great regularity, we'll turn to each other and say, this is ridiculous, but I love you more now than I did like last year. And it was pretty good last year. So, you know, I think after 50 years, I fully expect that we're going to be saying the same thing. <laughs> so that's, that's, um, that's kind of a description, of, I guess, of our mission, what, what led to the book. And I'll just end that little, little introduction by saying the book itself has turned out to just be a, a starting point for us. I mean, typically when I, when I finish a book, it's like the book is out, it's published, that's awesome. But this book came out and it's, it's, it's launching for us a whole new career, a whole new calling, a whole new, it's been on his whole life. But now I'm part of it. And now as a, as a couple, we, we really are, um, you know, we're doing uh, Zoom workshops monthly and we're planning a coaching training program and certification program for go-giver marriage coaches. And we're going to be doing all kinds of programs that relate to, the, to this five secrets to lasting love, because this is such a powerful thing, such a beautiful thing and such an important thing. So thank you, Dan. And over to you and over to Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. So I had the same reaction on it that after she read the original book, The Go-Giver, which has sold over a million copies, was, oh my gosh, this would be a fantastic marriage book. Fantastic marriage book. And you know, now 14 years later, there it is. It actually happened and came out 
And you're saying that, yeah. Yeah, like just tremendous. And even though it's a business book, the original one, all those skills apply to relationships and people. And um, I know Brian McRae's on here. I'll, I'll have him ask a question later, but he's focusing on help people win at work and win at home and yes. changing, changing the business community. And it's using a lot of the go-giver principles. And then the go-giver marriage, the five secrets, all complement you know, the original book, The Go-Giver. So one of which uh, a lot of guys have commented to me is allow. Can you talk a little bit about that particular one, the law, the law of allow? Maybe maybe frame that one up and and deliver some thoughts on that. I love that you picked that out of the crowd because yeah. not not that five is a crowd, but you know this these five secrets to lasting love, and and we love them all. We say we have five kids, and you know we love them all equally. There's no favorite, but they're all different. And allow is, I, I think it's the trickiest of the five. I think it's <laughs> the least obvious. It is and, by far the most difficult to wrap around and it's the most complex in its understanding and the word allow it's the word that we knew it belonged that belonged with the secret but at the same time there's a lot underneath it so go ahead john i i, I love yeah, to well, explain it i want to i want to say that first off that allow and this is something we we often clear up for people right off the bat allow doesn't mean enable <laughs> allow doesn't mean uh well you know my spouse is is really doing something terrible and destructive and behaving badly and abusing me and that's you know but i'm just going to turn the other cheek and be, and be allowing of that that's to me a distortion of that that's not what we're after that's that's enabling in a way that isn't healthy for either one of us what we mean by allow is more like some something more like the idea great of grace it's giving grace to your spouse allow is one of the reasons that it's not so obvious or so easy to explain as some of the other secrets is that it often doesn't show up early on. It's often something that shows up as you're together for as the years unfold. And you know, when we're first together, we're, we're in the thrall of romance and everything is fireworks and flowers and just incredulity. How could such a gorgeous creature exist? How, you know, what, what an amazing person and just everything is amazing. And that's very cool. I love it. Who doesn't love that? But then what happens is you're together and you have kids and you have jobs and you have finances and you have a household and and things break down and somebody gets sick and you break a leg and a a family member dies and and someone loses a job and maybe there's a miscarriage and and, and all these things in life just beat at us. They wear us down like surf on, 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 on stones. And we start to kind of pull in our horns and we forget to give attention to the us because we're so busy battling the outside and dealing with it. And this is where the rough edges often start to show up between us. And what allow means is when our spouse is having a a tough day, it could be like, maybe she just didn't sleep well last night, or it could be, maybe she's not feeling well. She's sick. She's got some incipient illness, or maybe it's, she had a bad day at work or had a bad phone call, had, had a colleague turn against her, somebody betrayed her, or maybe her mom is sick, or maybe she's worried about it, whatever the cause. Her spouse is under, under unusual stress. Maybe I need to give her a little benefit of the doubt. Maybe instead of reacting to something grumpy, she says, I need to think she's having a bad day and say to her, I can see you're having a bad day. Is there anything that I can do for you that make your day brighter? Or, or just think of something myself and do it. Allow means dropping the scorecard and forgetting about the concept of a 50-50 marriage. I do the dishes three and a half times a week and she does the dishes three and a half times a week. Why? Because that's fair. Here's where we tell people marriage is not fair. 
If you're looking for fairness, you're looking in the wrong place because you won't find it here. <laughs> because if, you, if your marriage ever achieves this magic state of perfect parity, just wait five minutes. <laughs> it, won't, it won't last. Because somebody is always having a struggle. Human beings struggle. That's like the definition of human being. <laughs> so what our spouse needs from us, what our partner needs from us, is, is what Anna was saying, a safe haven, a safe harbor is somebody that we, I always know she's on my team. And here's, the, here's, for me, one of the most beautiful things about my marriage with Anna. There are a lot of things that I, that I love about her. But one of the things that's, that's most meaningful to me is I know. I mean, I know like I know that there's a sun in the sky. I know like I know that there's an earth below my feet. I know that she's got my back. I know that she's on my team. No matter what happens to me, what state I'm in, what difficulty I have, I may be, whether I'm snarly or in a bad mood, and heaven knows I can be just awful, right, honey, when I'm in a bad mood. Uh, I got her to laugh. But, you know, we all have our moments. She's always got my back. Always, always, always. And that's what allowing means. Um, allowing means sometimes your partner needs a little extra space, a little extra time, whatever. And, and if I could add to that, the other side of allow, you know, every single secret yeah. that we name in the book as a as something that you need to pay attention to, um, there's a toxic opposing behavior. Dark side. The dark side. And the dark side of allow is control. And control is the cornerstone of codependence. People who are deeply codependent want to please other people and or they want to completely control them, as in, you know, the kind of comment that says, I wish you wouldn't talk so much when we go to parties. That's control in action. You know, and people do it all the time. You know, I'd find you more attractive if you'd lose that 20 pounds of baby fat. You know, does she need to hear that? No. Is that you trying to control her? Yes. But we do it very unconsciously. It's something that if you grew up with a controlling and critical parent on either side of the fence, mother or father, you have experienced feeling out of control. And when you feel out of control, you really generally try to control things. So when something emotionally doesn't feel quite right, you're going to try to either stomp it down and control it, or you're going to try to change it, or you're going to try to change the person. Allow also means... And, and I like to say this to people who are, are you know, faith-based because allow is, is for better or for worse, it's the worse. In richer and in poorer, it's the poorer. In sickness and in health, it's the sickness. It's the times when really difficult things are happening and you need to not only step up and be there for your spouse, but you need to allow for the fact that this is going on it may feel inconvenient. And I'll give you an example. I broke my leg in a very complex fracture. I didn't walk for a year and a half. Wow. It was such a difficult break that I did not walk for a year and a half. I couldn't get a glass of water across the room. I am the person who makes dinner most nights. So standing in the kitchen, out of the question. Um, I had a stool. I could work in front of the stove, but I, I could chop on the chopping block, but I literally didn't have the mobility and so for a year and a half, John became the chief cook and bottle washer at our house. 
And I would constantly say to him, you know, I'd be a sous chef. I'd, I'd sit on my stool and shop things. But, you know, the point I'm making is that he could have complained bitterly. I mean, this went on for a long time. I mean, many doctor's appointments, lots of MRIs. I mean, it was a ridiculous moment, but it was what it was. We had to get through it. And now we go for four mile walks every afternoon and my knee is fine. It was the actual inside of my knee that just broke in a million pieces. One of the most difficult things to put back together. Yeah, that's a moment when you have to pick up the slack because it isn't your spouse's fault that this happened. You know, whether it's a miscarriage and they're grieving at a different pace than you, you can't control that. You can get them support, but you can't change what's happening in that moment. And so it's the part of you that wants to come in and sort of take charge. And I find that it happens on both sides of the fence, because I'm sure there are men here saying, yeah, I want to take charge. I want to fix things because men men are the natural born fixers. They love to fix things. And it's one of their gifts, you know, like women who are listening, let them fix things. Find them something to fix and they'll be happy. That's right. (laughs) But I see it with just the, 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 gentlest touch of heart for both sides of the fence, because women can be incredibly controlling, especially if they've experienced trauma or anything in their history that has made them feel out of control. And those things extend to your kids. They extend, you know, and they make the partnership really difficult. So allow is also getting aware of your behavior so that you can, if you are somebody who snaps and, and says something aggressive really quickly, Learn to take a breath, take two minutes to allow yourself to breathe before you respond, and then really make effort to respond compassionately. There is no room in marriages for lashing out. It really is a behavior that you can not only get in control of, but you can shift it, and you can shift it in ways that will surprise you and are, that are really powerful. So that's the flip side that I really like people to understand about allow is that, you know, it's it's really that place in us that feels out of control and wants to just get a grip. Often all the issues around bickering and quarreling and fighting often come under the rubric of allow versus control. And it's, you know, just to reduce it to a, to a moment, let's say you're irritated with your partner, you're irritated with your spouse in this moment, something that he or she did irritate you. So there's two ways of seeing that semantically. She irritated me or I'm being irritated. It's like, and what we say in in the book about allow is take responsibility for the energy you bring to the marriage. In this instance, it's, I can say she's irritating me, which puts the locus of control in her, she's the cause of it. What she did is an irritating thing by its nature. And I must change it. I must change her now. Or for some reason, I'm experiencing irritation. And you know what? It's probably not what she's doing. She's just triggering something. It's actually yours. What, What this allowing thing does, it's so beautiful. It opens up to start saying, What's going on for me here? Why am I having this reaction? Why am I reacting? Often it has, to, not to get into this in depth in this, in this little uh, paragraph, but you know, often the roots of our own irritation, the roots of our own anxiety, the roots of our own disturbance lie in our own past. They lie in our own patterns. So that what our spouse is simply doing is they're triggering something that's just ours, allowing gives you the opportunity to start owning your own mood, owning your own reactions, owning your own energy, and taking responsibility for that. 
great, a great doorway to that is, as Anna says, is to take a breath. Take a breath. When you find yourself getting irritated or anxious, take a breath and take responsibility for this response you're having, even if you don't understand it exactly. That's great. That's great. You threw out a challenge on the podcast, and it was to pay close attention to your first and last thought at the beginning and end of the day. And also right there, what you just said, that one seems like a good one to pay attention for whenever you're getting into a feeling of control, look for it throughout the day. And, you know, that way you can observe it faster and do something about it faster. Cause often we go that direction and then hours later or days later or months later, we go, Oh, geez, I've been super controlling around something and recognizing it faster can help tremendously. That's brilliant. It's like it's like making a scavenger hunt. Yeah, hunt through your day for those moments. <laughs> and yes. I want to extend this to your children because John and I plan to write a book on on parenting and mentoring yeah. children as well because all of these secrets apply to your children because believe me, as a mother and I I don't know how many other mothers would relate to this but I know some fathers will relate to it too. How much effort and control do you put into trying to control your child and their behavior? Because <laughs> That's something that, you know, we want to raise them with good values and with good manners and with all the skills to equip them in the world. But oftentimes we have a vision for who we want them to become, and it's our vision. And we're trying to control them and mold them because we want them to either follow in our footsteps or we want them to be something unique and more powerful than we were ever able to be. And so these same principles apply to your children and how you interact with them. And may I say, the five secrets come from developmental theory, which developmental theory in the briefest nutshell is this. What you needed as an infant and a young child, you still need now as an adult. So the first secret to appreciate who doesn't, you know, just stand there over top of a baby, you know, laying on a changing table, cooing and moving their legs and just tell them they're the most beautiful baby on earth. And, you know, you're just so excited that they're here and you can't coo over them enough. Well, the secret of appreciation is exactly that. It's like taking a moment, you know, many times a day. And I mean, a moment to let your spouse know the ways that you love them and appreciate them. It's so powerful. The deepest need we really have is to be seen, heard, understood, and witnessed. And when we are witnessed, whether it's by a friend or a boss or by our spouse in a way that really feels whole, that really reaches us at a deep level, oh my goodness, it's so incredible. We, we all you know, eat it up like candy because it feeds this very basic place in us that needs that that needs to be seen, that needs to be understood and held and, you know, appreciated. And you, you use the term called primary narcissism. <laughs> and I'm yes. dying. I can't get rid of those two words in my head. I've never heard them before coming from a clinical background. Can you, can you like it, it sure. fits right into what you just talked about? So primary narcissism is when you're an infant in the first six months of, of life. And, it, and really, it's the first year of life. You're just taking in the environment. There you are laying on your blanket, you know, smiling and Googling at everybody. When somebody, you know, when you throw your toy off the, off the high chair, they pick it up and you go, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just that like feeding off of the people who are reflecting you. And that's how you develop your early sense of self. 
when children are profoundly neglected in the first year of life and they don't get that feedback, they don't have somebody who's adoring them and kissing them and blowing kisses on their belly and just loving everything about them and clapping when they, you know, use the potty chair and clapping when they take those first steps across the room, you know, just that feedback loop of, wow, you're incredible. If you have somebody in your corner that's telling you all day long and every, or every day how incredible you are, whew, that's such a gift because, you know, in our marriage, it was 25 years ago that I used to tell John that he could write incredible novels and he never believed me. He'd always say, oh, thanks for the vote of confidence, huh? And he'd just keep walking. Thank you for blowing, blowing kisses in my belly. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, 21 years later, he wrote his first novel. Um, it got nominated for a Barry Award, which is like being nominated for an Oscar. And it's been a huge success. And now the second novel is coming out in June. And um, pretty significant people in the in the writer's world are, are paying attention to him in a different way. Like they're, you know, some yes. major writers have read the second novel and they're going, whoa, this is a study in craft. Like they love it that much. So it, it really was that I, I believed in him. And that's the secret of belief. I believed in him and I kept sharing it with him. I kept letting him know I believed in him, even when he didn't believe it. I, I just want to add, add to that. You know, Anna said that when you're, when you're an infant, this primary narcissism thing, um, and it's, it's narcissism because you're the center of, center of the universe as, as an infant, right? But it's not, I want to say it's not the same thing as being a narcissist as a grown up, as an adult. That's that's different. It's a it's appropriate for for a, a three month old. It's not appropriate for a thirty year old, but 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 still, the the basic idea is, as an infant, what Anna said was that all this praise that you give the infant is helping them form their picture of who they are. And if 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 someone Anna started a thought, if someone grows up without that, without any sense. You know, without that person you're praising them constantly and being in their corner and letting them know how amazing it is that they used the potty and that they stood up and that they read that first page. If you don't have that, it's difficult to form a whole healthy personality, a whole, a whole picture of who you are, a whole self, a whole sense of self. When you're an infant, praise and appreciation help you build your sense of health, self. When you're an adult, that praise and appreciation remind you of that sense of self. They remind you who they are. And the reason that's so important for us as adults is, again, the world wears us down. The defeats and the struggles wear us down. It's, it's exhausting. There's friction in the world. We need somebody in our corner reminding us, yes, you read that whole book yourself. You stood and walked all by yourself. You're a great man. You're an amazing woman. You're a true friend. You're a great person in the world. You're an inspiration to the people around you. You have tremendous leadership qualities that people look up to you and admire you. You are a wonderful father. You are an incredible mother. You are an amazing sibling. Your brothers and sisters are so lucky to have you. We need someone in our corner reminding us of these things because we forget them. We are, we are still as fragile as infants on the inside. Mm, and, that is and, such a good point. And to go back to the adult side of the narcissism, if you know somebody who is an adult and a true narcissist, that is a personality disorder. And it is born out of children who were either 
critically abused as children, neglected as children, and or lived under parents who were constantly drunk, alcoholic, and out of control. You know, so they never got their needs met. And they grow up to be somebody who is completely self-centered, completely focused on the me, me, I, I, and can't see anything else beyond them. There's a, a very pathological side to a real true adult narcissist. So it doesn't have anything to do with that. Primary narcissism is just a stage of development in the first year. Yes. yes. Anna said something the other day that fascinated me. She said, um, I think somebody was asking, can you, can you give somebody too much praise? And she, and she said, people may think that if you praise someone too much, like if you praise your children too much, right? If you, if you build them up too much, they might become like narcissists. And, and I heard her say something like, no, 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 it's the opposite. It's the opposite. If you completely withhold praise, if you completely withhold appreciation, if they never get any of it at all, that's what builds a narcissist. Uh, I, I, was, I was fascinated by that. So anyway, please, Dan, it's go the on. Same yeah, with, yeah. It's the same with mothers who stay home in the first year with their babies. I can't endorse it enough. I mean, I, yeah. I literally dropped my job. I was teaching at a university at the graduate level when my daughter was born. And I was like, you know, nope, checked out, not doing that. I'm out of here. I took a year sabbatical and I just stayed home with my baby because when you can give your full on attention to a young child, that's one of the most powerful things you can do. Yeah. And so that's part the part of us that really endorses, you know, traditional family in the sense that, you know, yes, it's it almost always there's needs to be two incomes nowadays. It's even worse. Um, but, you know, you can juggle so that one parent is it's or or a grandparent that you trust completely is always with that baby or that child so that there's you know they're constantly getting their needs met and there's a loving environment for them to grow in all right all right so let's transition a bit so if you have any questions or anything feel free and shoot them to ryan roy ryan runs a really cool group called fbi dad so if you're a dad looking to be more involved with your child's school he's got a really really cool program but if you got questions for John, David, and Anna, uh, just message them over to Ryan. There's a few people that have already sent some questions in. So at this time, uh, we're going to go over to Brick and his wife, Monica. So Brick and his wife, Monica, have a question or two queued up. And I think Monica is the one with the question. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's the one with the question. Hi. Thank you guys so much for your time. Um, Kyle and I are actually reading our Brick. I always forget to call him Brick. <laughs> Are um, reading the book together right now, and we're really enjoying it. So we're just we're really passionate about building a marriage of lasting love. So it's just hitting a lot of cool points on the head for us. Um, and so something we're curious about is as we're going through this and reading this is in a world full of that seven out of ten couples that are unhappy in their marriages. You know, they're not pouring into that how do we find that other three of 10 to pour into us and encourage us along our path and vice versa and vice versa. How do you find the other three out of the 10 so that you can have relationships with other couples that are really pouring in? I, I think it's, um, you know, it's funny because John and I have, have experienced exactly the same thing because there's a lot of, um, you know, the older you get, the more people kind of settle back in their easy chairs and ignore each other in couples. And so we find there's a lot of couples that are, their relationship is completely asleep. And I mean, 
we're more in love than ever. And we know that that's really how it's supposed to be, that people are supposed to, you know, you see those couples that they've been married 60 years and they're just grinning at each other. They adore each other. So I would say, um, you know, play it by ear, go, go out to dinner with them, get to know them at church or wherever, and, you know, kind of pay attention, ask them questions, turn them on to the book. Um, because sometimes people need a nudge. Sometimes it's not that they don't want to be pouring into their marriage, but maybe, and, and there can often be things you don't know. Maybe she had two miscarriages in the last eight months and they're kind of struggling and they have faith and they are married and want to stay married, but they're kind of in a hold because she's grieving and he doesn't know how to handle it. And there's no support for the marriage. Um, you know, they, they can't even talk to their parents or their, you know, immediate family because they kind of don't want to put all their cards on the table and she doesn't want to break down and cry in front of her mother-in-law, whatever, you know, it's like there can just be so many dynamics. So I say, you know, kind of go on dates with people and <laughs> get to know them, interview them, you'll find them. And, and we have only a couple, we have a handful of people that are really the ones that not only pour into us, but pour into each other. And, but we're making new connections all the time. Like if we lived near Dan and Corey, we'd be like, we'd be going on dates with them every week. I mean, that would honestly, be awesome. <laughs> because, you know, you have to find those people who not only share your faith, but also, um, you know, that there's that alignment, you know, it, and you don't, you don't have to be aligned in every way. You can be on, on different wavelengths politically, or, you know, there can be differences between you, but aligned in a way that, you know, that they are a couple who, are really have the same similar values around holding the marriage and holding it for their children. And one thing I tell people in every format that we ever get to speak in, whether it's one of our trainings or whatever, is that your children are growing up under the story of your marriage. And believe me, someday when they're at college and they go off to a bar with their friends, they're going to, you know, have a story about you guys that they're telling to their friends. And that story might be, you know, oh, my dad was such a nice guy, but my mom was constantly bitching at him. And the poor guy was so henpecked and so controlled. And, you know, I just, I love my mom, but boy, she's hard. And my dad, he's a sweetheart. And boom, that's their story right there. They just told the story of your marriage. And it doesn't need to be that way. That's great. So, yeah. Just so in your little explanation, you used allow and control example. And you're just giving an example and it happens to fit right yeah. in. So that's fantastic. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to just add that there's, it's, it's a, a, a little bit of a struggle too, I think for, for us sometimes, because on the one hand, we want to be, we have friends whom we love dearly. We've known for many, many, many years who are in that place of, a, they, they love each other. There's no question about it. They're devoted to each other, but they're also, there's this sort of constant sort of undertone of bickering and carping. And sometimes it's kind of nasty. And, on the one hand, we, we, we love them and we would love to be a good influence on them if we can presume to do that. But on the other hand, it wears us down. It's like having, it's like having a constantly negative friend, a friend who's always complaining and seeing the dark side of things. And at a certain point, we find we need to ask ourselves for the health of us and our marriage, who do we want to spend time with? Where do we want to put our time? You've, we've often heard it said that, you know, you become the whatever it is of the five closest friends or 10 closest friends. I forget the cliche, but there's certainly truth to it. So we have had to, over the years, just gently and gradually let go of certain friendships, not totally, 
not totally, but spend less time with certain couples who have this kind of negative dynamic going on. And as Anna says, gravitating more toward, toward couples who are who have the same the same kind of ethic of, of mutual adoration that we do that we do. Or at least uh, respect. You yeah. Know? Yes. Mean, thank you. For us to go out to dinner with this one couple that we have kind of moved further away from, he criticizes her. He shuts her off in conversation all the way through dinner. And I just want to, you know, I, I kind of want to smack him by the end of dinner. You know, I have I mean, a, <laughs> it brings up the very worst in me. I had a friend who was, a, who was the, C, I think it was the CEO or he was some C-suite uh, character in the, in the TJ Maxx company. And he told a story about how he went to a, he went to a meeting once and uh, that he and a bunch of guy friends had every Thursday or something. And one guy showed up and, and uh, had said he couldn't come. But then he showed up and my friend said, oh, I thought you couldn't come. He says, yeah, well, I gave my wife a good smack on the side of the head and put her in her place is what she needs. And he was kidding around. Right. He was kidding around. And my friend said to him, and that is the end of our friendship. And the guy said, whoa, whoa, whoa don't overreact. He says, no, I'm sorry. It's not an overreaction. That's it. And he ended the friendship right then and there because he wouldn't tolerate somebody disrespecting his wife in public, even if she wasn't there. And I, I just had tremendous admiration for that. It's, it's, it's a tough line to draw, but I, I learned something from him. Yeah, absolutely. Having boundaries there. Yep. So we've got uh, Brian McRae with us. So I want to hey, thank Brian. Yes. Yes. Brian, John, John, Brian. Cool. Yes. We meet. Yes. So I want to publicly thank Brian, something he told me years ago that I've already said on the podcast before. Uh, he intentionally wanted to grow his marriage. And one of the ways he did was writing down one thing he appreciated about his wife every day. And it had to be something different every day. And that one little thing he did that he shared with me, I started also doing, I thought that is just a fantastic habit that I would love to build, grow. And as John, you said, when you were on the podcast before, uh, we've all got weeds in our lives and in our marriages and things. If we can just find ways to appreciate and look and cultivate and uh, kind of like a treasure map and identify those things. So that one little exercise that Brian gave me allowed me to really, really find lots of different ways to grow an appreciation of my wife and kind of find the true treasure that she is and uh, has allowed me to be a much, much better husband. So one, thank you, Brian. Well, that's my pleasure. <laughs> Just sharing wisdom. Yep. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. And then uh, you run the mastermind project and that helps people win at work and win at home. And I know you've got a question for John, David and Anna. So go ahead. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, first of all, it's great to see you again, John, David. So it's um, appreciated the time earlier, getting to know you a little bit better, but uh, I'm in Anna, it's awesome to see you, but I'm really going to dive in here. I think context uh, just really, and stories around that. So I'm just going to ask which one of the, uh, which one of these five secrets do you think is your spouse's superpower? <laughs> Let's see. That's really a question for both of you. So I'd yeah. love to hear just uh, what, did something emerge as you guys were writing this book where you just were like, wow, they, that's something they really, that it was really written because of it. I'm going to let her go first. Although I know my answer is. Um, I think John's superpower is attend. Huh. And Sweet. I have never met anybody who goes out of his way to take care of me the way John does. I mean, you know, five minutes before we got on this, I was searching in my email for the link. And he goes, no, no, I've got the link. I put it in the calendar. And I was like, okay. 
So I just went to the calendar and clicked on the link and it was like, ah. you know, I was completely <laughs> relaxed. It's such a little thing, but it's like he, he is, he constantly just makes certain, I mean, he delivers a cup of tea to the bedside table at seven and he often brings my laptop at the same time so that I can just sit in bed, answer emails, drink a cup of tea, be leisurely and relax for 30 minutes. You know, I don't even get out of bed. So, you know, it's like little things like that just are so powerful. And he is constantly attending to me in ways that just kind of blow my mind. Like it's this, it's just so sweet and so kind and so constant um, that, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I think we're all very practiced in all five though. I got, I kind of want to say that because <laughs> Um, well, you did write a book about it, so I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John is also, um, you know, he's a great encourager to everybody he knows, anybody who's been around him, any writers that are around him. I mean, he loves to help budding writers move up. And he's, he's just the most encouraging person, which is why being on this journey together is so powerful. He's not trained as a therapist, but he really gets and understands these five secrets at a deep level. It is what we live in our marriage. And so he has always encouraged me to grow in new ways. And even around writing this book, you know, just to step out and really own, own the, own what I've been doing and what I love, but own the decision to work as a coach rather than having two people in the room at the same time and trying to help them work out the differences. I coach one person at a time. And that was really John saying, go for it, do it. Um, so there's just, you know, it's, I love that he's so strong in attending, but they're all there. I got to tell you that the thing with the attending is I, I do a million things a day. I, I counted them once. It is exactly a million. Um, <laughs> I, I do a million, a million things a day for, and I, you know, it might be brilliant. She likes to have a glass of water by her side at her table where she does these podcasts and these, these, these Zooms. I want to make sure there's a glass of water there. There it is. That glass, I put that glass of water there. Maybe I didn't put it today. She did it, but <laughs> normally I do it. Oh, you did. Cup of, the cup of tea, I'll do the dishes. I'll do the, do the trash and do this and that. And every one of those things, I, when I remember to do this, I envision them like little heart-shaped boxes with a red ribbon around it with chocolates inside. They're all like little gifts. Washing dishes can be a gift. Giving a cup of tea can be a gift. They're all like this little gifts, little presents. Um, it's just like showing up for a date with flowers in your hand. It's it it has that feeling to it. Um, so, but that's that's sweet that you you picked that one. I know what I pick for for her superpower, and that's easy for me. And it, there's a recurring line in the story in the parable of Tom and Tess in the first half of the Go Giver Marriage. For those of you who haven't read the book, if there are any of you who haven't read the book, the first half of the book is called the parable. The second half is called the practice. The first half I wrote, the second half is Anna's work. She, that's she, the practice is where she explains what the parable means and then shows you how, exactly how to do that. And the parable about Tom and Tess, there's a recurring line where when the, the first day Tom and Tess met, um, they just spent hours together talking and he was telling her all about books he'd read as a child and cracking lame jokes and telling her all kinds of stuff about his background. And he couldn't believe that whenever he hit it like an awkward pause, he would look at her and, he, and he'd probably be thinking something like, oh, she must be thinking, who is this ridiculous geeky guy? And she would say, tell me more. And, and uh, that is right out of our life. I remember early in our relationship, I'd want to tell Anna something that felt 
like I couldn't, didn't know how to explain it, something, an idea, I, it was half-baked and I couldn't quite get it out and I would say it. And she would look at me and say, tell me everything. And the, the feeling I got from that, it exists to this day, which is that she wants to know everything that I've got to say. She wants to know all there is to know about me. And what's underlying that is what is our fourth secret. We call it belief. I, I always have this feeling like she believes in me. It's, it's something that we want to all, all practice spontaneously as parents, or, or we, we typically do, right, about our kids. Yeah, you can mess up, you can, you can, whatever you do, but I still believe in you. You're my kid, right? I get that from her. No matter what happens, I always feel like she completely and totally believes in me. The story she told about the novels thing, that was an example of that. That is her superpower. I've seen her do it, by the way, with many, many other people. She has a, a gift, I think, of seeing people at their core, like quickly <laughs> getting somebody at, at the core of who they are and believing in that core and like shining a flashlight down the long tunnel to who the person is on the inside and holding that even as they struggle with their circumstance and their thoughts and their issues and their, their, their whatever's going on. Um, so that's, that's something that I emulate. That's great. That's great. So humor, flirting, all that type stuff is great in marriage. And uh, I nearly spit out my water when I was listening to the book on Audible for the first time. And I think this was you maybe that said this. Maybe, maybe it was John. I don't, I don't know who, who was the one that said this, but you gave a compliment. And in the book, it says, it says, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the exact quote, so, so correct me, but it was something along the lines of your butt looks cute in those jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, it, this is in the book and I'll, I'll give you the, the, the total story. I, I was graced with a lot of clients who said, you can use my material, just don't use my name. So I had these two clients, they were both coaching with me, the husband and the wife. So they're in separate rooms at separate times with me um, on Zoom. And um, so she was really somebody that called herself the hands on the hips girl. She was somebody who was very critical. She criticized him at least a half dozen times a day in her words. And he actually, in his first appointment said, well, if there's any way I could shift my wife from criticizing me all the time to appreciating me, that would be like a milestone. And not only did that shift, Forgive me, there's a blower outside my door. I hope it's not interfering with the sound. Um, not only did that shift, but she actually, one day when he was loading six little boys into the back of a van to go to soccer practice, and the six little boys were in the car and he'd walked back into the house to get something. And as he walked back out, she was standing in the door and she looked at him and she said, have I told you yet today that, you're, that you have the cutest butt and blue jeans ever made? And he turned around and without missing a beat, he said, yeah, well, it's even cuter out of jeans. And she, <laughs> she, said, she said back to him, well, consider that a date then. And uh, so it was like this really sweet little moment where she just appreciated him in the most concrete kind of carnal way. But at the same time, he loved it and ate it up. And she hadn't said that to him probably. And, you know, I think he told me she hadn't said anything even remotely like that in seven or eight years since their kids were born. And um, she said it was, he, you know, they both reported it as like this incredible moment 
And it did lead to more. They went on a few date nights in the next two weeks. Their intimacy sort of increased and got better. I mean, there were just a lot of little things that came out of that one comment because they were starting to flirt. They were starting to be really, really not only appreciative, but very sweet and very cherished with each other. And it was just, I mean, there was even more to this story of the two of them, but she not only stopped criticizing him, and this is something I love to share with people. There's a neurological loop in your brain. There's yards of research about how the brain holds negativity. Okay, so when you have a negative loop going in your brain, the only way to replace it is to replace it with a positive loop. So for her, she had to really like catch herself from criticizing him, but she also just increased the amount of times that she was appreciating him every day. And then what naturally happens is that the negative loop goes away. And instead of searching all day long for like, oh, there it is, he left his socks on the floor again. You know, instead of constantly looking for the negative, you're looking for the positive. And she started just complimenting him and appreciating him like crazy. And boom, the whole tone of the marriage shifted. And it, it was pretty remarkable to watch. They were, they were incredible. And, and the other thing I love about the work is that when I work with people, you know, I, I will work with them for six sessions, maybe 12, but it's not a long-term thing. It's like, I'm not looking to get people on the payroll. Right. That, and the coaches aren't looking to get people on the payroll either, because this is work that you can conquer. This is work that you can get good at um, because it's behavioral. And it's just like creating a new habit where you're making yourself a smoothie every morning. You know, it's good for you and you're doing it because you know it's good for you. And so it's, yeah. And your whole marriage will just be so bright. That's great. That's great. So Ryan, Roy, you have a question. So Ryan, go ahead with your question. Yes. Thank you both for being here today. This has been so awesome. Uh, Thank you for covering Allow because that was one of my questions and you guys answered it thoroughly. So I appreciate that. But I noticed in your terminology, both of you, you use the word moment, even, and you used it as, you know, a year and a half with a knee injury where you were bedridden for the most part, or just being able to cut vegetables. You actually described that as a moment. Uh, So I find it interesting that you're using that. And I know life is a series of moments. Can you elaborate on that terminology and the significance of it? Sure. Do you want to say? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll say just a note on that, which is that, you know, it, it's, it's um, you know, the old expression that the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. The way you change your life is in single, seemingly insignificant actions. And the way that you, you know, it, it would, it's lovely to go to a weekend workshop where you get inspired by, by big, broad teachings and great broad principles. And you, and you fill up a notebook full of all these things I'm going to do to change my life. And you come home and then Monday morning happens and you go, where do I start? You know, well, what we want, what we want to do enumerate in the book is where you start. It's the little things you do every day. It's, it's those, those little wrapped boxes of chocolates in the cup of tea, in, in, in the flower, in the piece of praise and the appreciation. The, we, the reason we teach the appreciation thing as three times a day, find one thing about your spouse you love and take a moment to tell them. Just, we make it that bite-sized of a piece is because that's the way we change. That's the way we grow. That's the way you shift the tone of an entire marriage. It's like you are the tugboat moving the ocean liner that is your marriage. You can't just go push the ocean liner. 
but you can get on the tugboat and, and move the throttle of that little thing. That's what these little actions are. You know, we wanted to keep these very simple. So the five secrets are all simple little momentary actions. And it's such a great question because I do believe big change happens in little moments. That's fantastic. So you mentioned appreciate. So uh, a lot of people have asked, how can we pay for this event? How can we? So one, it was sponsored by the insurance store. So if you're looking for home auto business insurance or life insurance, call the insurance store in Chester Road, Missouri. But outside of that, um, think about the podcast, the books in your life, the people in your life that, that you tune into. And I'll highly recommend this book, The Go-Giver Marriage go on audible, go on Amazon and write a five-star review and type something in there. Awesome. What that does mm. is pours into the people that are content creators and creating great uh, material like this. And secondly, it helps boost them up the rankings so other people can see them and then also see your comments. And then there's a that, third thing, there's a third thing. Go, go with the third, go with the third. And, and you know, yes, it, it pours into us and into our book and into our ranking. And what it, it, what it really does is it, it, it opens up the door for people who haven't found this message yet and may find it. People who are ambling through Amazon and they look and they see a book that has five reviews, they're likely to just walk on by. They look and they see a book that has 500 reviews, whether they're good or bad ironically, just the number of reviews. And they say, oh, I should take a look at that. It's like when you walk by a restaurant that's just recently opened and you peek in the window and you see there's nobody there, you walk on. Or you walk by, you peek in the window and you see the place is thriving. There's like 50 people having supper. You go, we should check this out. So that's what your reviews do for the people whose marriages could be changed or even saved by this book, but who don't know it yet. And the gift that you'll receive by leaving a review, if it's a positive five-star one, is you'll feel better because you just gave something great away, a compliment to somebody else. So you'll actually receive more happiness because you did something to give someone else happiness. So I know, John, you talk about uh, to give is greater than to receive. However, you say even though you've heard this for a long time, it's actually slightly different than to give. Can you tell everybody how you say that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the actual, if you look at the actual word, you know, here we are, you know, it's people quote this line, it is better to give than to receive. And that's not what it says in the New Testament. What it says is Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And blessed doesn't mean ethically good. It doesn't mean noble. Blessed means abundant. It is more richly rewarded to give than to receive. When you give, you get richer in every way. It's Pindar's principle, which says the more you give, the more you have. It's not the more you hang on, the more you have. The more you grip tightly, the more you, uh, it's the more you give, the more you have. You become more abundant, more rich, more blessed. So the more you pour into the marriage, the more you pour into your spouse, the more you will have and the more the, that marriage will grow. So, yeah. wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, John David. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, everybody who attended and everybody who will listen to this recording in the future. We, I greatly appreciate you for uh, paying attention to your marriage, for doing something on purpose, for as John said, doing something that's single, seemingly maybe insignificant. However, the more you take in, 
the more positivity you'll give out, the more your spouse will notice that you're noticing her, that you're attending to her, that you're paying attention to her, believing in her or vice versa. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yes, Anna. Can I add anything? Yes. Yes. You can add anything. I just want to let people know that on our website, gogivermarriage.com, we do, we do have a, a program that's quite inexpensive and easy for people to access. It's a zoom event like this, but it's called living the five secrets to lasting love. We do it every month and some months we do it more than once a month, depending on the enrollments. Um, And it is a wonderful opportunity to do a deep dive into all five secrets. And then we do a full hour of interaction after the deep dive. So it's really a rich um, opportunity like this, but a little more, a little more full in terms of really getting into all the secrets and talking about it. So if anybody wants to attend, just, just go to the website, you can enroll right there and we'll get you informed. What's the website again? So I can type it in and it's gogivermarriage.com. No, the just gogivermarriage.com. And then is this also the church um, format also, or or is that different? This is, this is what we call the plain glass version because people from all walks of life come to it. Okay. We have one that we do for churches. That's called the stained glass version. It's a little more biblical in that we get into the secrets and then we get into our own scripture that we believe go with each and all of the secrets. So it's, it's a deeper dive. That's um, great. Yeah. I love, love that yeah, you've got both out there. And I believe the principles, not only in this book, but the other books are all biblical principles. So whether yes. somebody's faith-based or not, it can help lead them to faith. So that's really cool. Exactly. And the books are written from a secular viewpoint, very much in honor of Bob Berg. Um, and, you know, of just the idea that it would reach a broader audience in the world. And so the publishers were very adamant about that. You can see in the go for marriage more of our influence. Um, it's a little, I, I feel it's got a little more of the tone of faith. Yes. Yes. I would agree with you. It definitely does. It definitely does. Well, we appreciate you both greatly. And uh, yeah, gogivermarriage.com. You can get connected with John and Anna. And um, if you're a uh, uh, fan of special forces books, uh, you might not look at John and think <laughs> that he's written some amazing books about special forces story. I know, John, I know. What? What? <laughs> But he's combined with the Navy SEAL and written some fantastic, numerous stories inside of two books, Cold Steel and Steel Fear, right? Steel Fear. fear, Cold Fear and Steel. Steel Fear last year just came out. And then Cold Fear is coming out in June. There we go. There we go. I can't wait to read that one. The first one was great. Yeah. Thank you very, very. Oh, go ahead. They've also written a number of other books on leadership um, from a Navy SEAL's perspective and also... um, uh, Brandon Webb, the Navy SEAL, his um, memoir called The Red Circle, which is, you know, I never read military books, but I could not put this book down the first time I read it. I kept saying to him, get me the next chapter, get me the next chapter. As wow. I was reading it chapter by chapter, it's compelling. Yeah. He actually went into the caves in Afghanistan right after 9-11 yes. and found the recruitment posters that showed that were all in Arabic that showed airplanes flying into the Twin Towers. And he oh brought those posters home to the United States and they're shown in the book. And wow. it's, it's just like, it, it gives you chills. It's such an insanely good memoir of his time in Afghanistan hunting for the Taliban. Well, there we go. There's another one for my list. I got to read. So <laughs> I'll get that one read before the next one comes out. 
thank you everyone for coming. Thank you. And thank everyone. you so yes. much for the great questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And again, appreciate you. And uh, yeah, uh, anytime you're up for coming back on, we'd love to have you. That's us. Absolutely. You can have us back on anytime. This is a lovely <laughs> event. And this is what we love to do. We just love to teach this work. I mean, it's really a calling for us. So we would happily come back. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you all again. And I will let you go and look forward to connecting with everybody. And uh, again, the challenge for this week is uh, write a review for somebody. It'll bless them and it'll bless you. So thank you all. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and I hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.